Welcome to the Renaissance Podcast. Every week, we strive to present the truth and love of Jesus to the heart of our community through music, art, and public speaking. Today, we continue with our study through 1 Corinthians, and we hope you are encouraged by this message. Let's get started. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Renaissance. My name is Jeff. I'm the lead pastor here at the church. And so it is my pleasure and honor to teach us today from the Bible. So if you have a Bible with you, I would ask you to turn your attention to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you're visiting with us, just know this. This is kind of how we work our way through the Bible at Renaissance. We pick a book, right? And in February, we started a study in 1 Corinthians, and we've been just working our way through chapter by chapter, verse by verse, if you will. So today we find ourselves in the 15th chapter. We'll read verses 1 through 11, and we're getting close to the end. Who's ready for the end of 1 Corinthians? Besides me. Anyone? (laughs) Yes, I'm ready. Uh, This is going to carry us into our Christmas series. Um, That I'm so looking forward to, by the way. Um, I want to share something with you as you make your way to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Do you know anybody who just seems to drone on and on and on when they're talking with you, giving you details about a story, backstory details that you have no need to know? If you just could say to them, just get to the point, brother, would you just tell me what you mean to say? In fact, I feel like I'm doing that now. Anyone? (laughs) Well, I had an opportunity to share something with someone this past week, a person I did not know, and I felt compelled to tell him every crazy detail about the story that I was telling. And in the back of my mind, I heard a voice say, Jeff, shut up. (laughs) Just tell him the the main point. Um, In the business world, we call this the elevator pitch. Have you ever heard of the elevator pitch? The idea is if you jump onto an elevator with someone, maybe someone of affluence, of power, maybe the, the leader of the company you work with, and you have but a few moments between floors, and you want something from them, but you need to communicate what you need, what your plan is, and all this stuff, but you only have a few moments, give them the shortened version of what you're looking for, the elevator pitch. In, in my line of work, a pastor and preaching, they call this the 3 a.m. sermon. So if you've been studying all week for your sermon, you have your notes all laid out, and what if someone came and and, and woke you up at 3 a.m. Sunday morning and says, quick, tell me what your sermon's about, and you don't have time to go into all the details. You just spit out the one or two main points. That's what I'm talking about. And Paul, in his letter to Corinthians today, he seems to get to the nuts and bolts of everything that he's been saying these past few months. And he's doing this for a couple of reasons. What is happening by way of backstory for the church in Corinth is the church of believers in Corinth, of which Paul established the church, right? The Christians are there primarily because of the work that Paul has done. He's hearing word that the Christians there are beginning to struggle a little bit in their faith. He's catching word from them that many of them are starting to distrust or disbelieve an aspect of the gospel of Jesus that he thinks is imperative that they remember. And the issue they're struggling with is this idea of the resurrection. Now, the Corinthian church, it's a Greek city. It's very Roman influenced, but it has Greek thought sort of making its way into the church. And the Greek thought of their day said something like this, that the the person, the thing that matters about an individual or a person in the world is in fact their spirit or their soul only. The body, they think, is just the outer shell that is to be discarded. It's the outer part of the Oreo cookie. When everyone knows the inside parts, the best part, say amen. Amen. Double stuff. Amen? 
mega stuff. What? That's a thing. I'm just throwing it out there. So anyways, but that's not true. And Paul's already gone into that about the, 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 what God thinks about the body. So he's talking about that. But what, the, what is causing all of this struggle for the Corinthian church is because they've thrown some of this belief about the resurrection out, their faith is in fact not rooted or established into the true faith that is in Jesus. Now, all of that points to this one reality. When life's storms begin to buffet and push against the Corinthians, which was happening in their day as persecution would soon break out, they found themselves falling away, drifting away. Some people had come into the church and began to say things like, the resurrection isn't even true, it's not even needed. Some people began to believe that they already had the resurrection because the Spirit of God had come upon them and began to manifest itself in gifts. And they thought, we're already spiritual people, we don't need to be resurrected. And all this was crazy talk, and Paul knew it was going to lead to their demise should they not get the true gospel rooted deep again. And so he comes to them and proclaims the Cliff Notes version of the gospel in 1 Corinthians 15. In fact, this, this chapter is a wonderful chapter to understand if you're trying to help someone else understand what it is the gospel is saying. So I want to read this for us. We'll put the words on the screen and you can follow along. And then we'll just make our way through a couple things that I think Paul wanted the Corinthian church to know. And I think the Lord wants us to know as well. So let's start here in verse one. Let me find my glasses. Sorry. As your pastor, let me just encourage you, do not get old. It's terrible. <laughs> Anyways, starting in verse 1. Now I remind you, brothers and sisters, of the gospel that I preached to you, and which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word that I preached to you, he says, unless all of this belief has been in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, or Peter. Then Jesus appeared to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Just so you know, that's a euphemism for dying. Some of them have kicked the bucket, is basically what he's saying. Then, verse 7, he says, Jesus appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, Paul says, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But, he says, verse 10, by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed, he says. Let's bow our heads and pray. Lord God, we come before you today seeking guidance. All of us are bringing things in from the outside that can distract and dissuade and even disrupt our understanding of what's taking place today. So I, I just pray in, in Jesus' name, by the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who is here and with us, that he would open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear, that he would soften our hearts to receive the words of God, and they would implant deep inside of us, and they would be helpful to us. God, I thank you for our time together. 
May this be more than just an intellectual exercise, Lord. May our faith be encouraged. May our spirits feel comfort. And God, I thank you for everything that you're doing. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen? Amen. Paul begins in his little chapter, if you will, his next paragraph in his letter to the Corinthian church, birthed out of concern for them. And he says in verse one, he says, I want to remind you of something. Now know this, this short cliff notes, elevator pitch version of what he's saying here, he's by no means trying to persuade them of something. So we're not going to find that here, but he is telling them, you know this already. You've accepted it. You've believed in it. He says you've stood in it. We'll get to that in a minute. And I'm just reminding you of what you already know. Now, why is it important that the Corinthian church and maybe even us, why is it important that we be reminded of some things? Well, I'll tell you, because we drift. Because we find ourselves sliding further and further away from the truth. Oftentimes, unintentionally. Know this, there is a gospel that is true that we find in the word of God that it, it preaches Jesus and him crucified. This is what Paul is saying. But there's another gospel being preached in the world around us and it says something other than what this says. And just so you know, most of us listen to that gospel more. Most of us listen to what the, uh, what the world or the culture around us says our life should look like. Most of us listen to what others say about our relationship with God and what it's supposed to really look like, more so than what God has to say about his relationship with us. And so Paul, in his loving pastoral heart, he comes alongside and lovingly pushes them back in their lane and says, no, remember this. This is where we started. This is what you believed. And this is what you've been standing in for a while. This talk that the resurrection doesn't exist, this talk that the resurrection has already taken place is foolishness. Don't believe that. Because if your faith is built on that and that's not true, when life storms come, it will overtake you. It will push you down and you will find yourself further and further away from where God is. So he says, I want to remind you of these things. I was uh, thinking of this um, Every month here at Renaissance, we do something um, called communion. We take communion to get together. Some of you might know it as the Lord's Supper, right? Where we take a cracker or a piece of bread and we eat it, and it's a symbol of Jesus' body that's been broken for us. And, and we take a little cup of juice or wine or whatever, and you drink that, and that's a, a symbol of Jesus' shed blood for us. And all of that pointing to the work that Jesus has done for us. But did you know that Jesus actually commands us to do that? that it is a command of the Lord Jesus himself that we should remember him every month. Well, he doesn't say every month. That's what, our, that's what we say. But he just says, remember me when you do these things. Why? Again, because we drift. Because all too often, us in the church, we begin to think about our salvation from this lens. Look at all the good works that I do. Look at all my church attendance. Wow, you're amazing. Look at how much I give to the church. Look how much I serve at the church. And on and on it goes. And all this religious activity is somehow making you think that you're, excuse me, earning something from God, earning salvation from God, and you're not. 
Jesus says, it is my broken body, it is my shed blood, that is the atonement of sins, that's where reconciliation takes place, it is rooted in me and me alone. And he says those things to remember him because we drift. Even now, I can only imagine some of the things that you're bringing in with you today. Some of the difficulties, some of the challenges, some of the upsets, the hurt that you're bringing in. Wondering this talk of God being good, is he really? This talk of God being powerful, can he really help in this situation? And on and on it goes. This talk that God is good and loving, I don't know that I believe. And Paul just says, listen, you have been instructed by something that is not true. Remember. And he pulls them back to the truth of the gospel. <laughs> he says, this is the gospel in which you stand. May I remind you, this is not just a, an ascension to an intellectual ascension to some doctrines of ideas or thoughts that they've believed in. This is something altogether different. In Paul's day, to become a Christian meant, to, it meant that you stood in opposition to what the world around you was saying. In our world, we can be Christian and, and sort of hide <laughs> in the culture around us. Not in Paul's day. We, we studied early on in this book that they would oftentimes meet in secret because if the Romans found out or if the, if the Jews found out, there was great persecution coming against them. And he says, you were so bold to stand in faith and proclaim Jesus Christ, and now all of a sudden you're changing your opinion on the tenets of the faith, the resurrection of Christ? I warn you, don't do it. That's not the gospel. That gospel... <laughs> that gospel won't help you. That gospel can't help you. He says, I've delivered to you, verse 3, as of first importance, that which I have received. Know this, Paul, who is responsible for over two-thirds of our New Testament, right? If you look at the New Testament, two-thirds of it was penned by this dude, Paul. He wrote it. Now, he was a brilliant man, one of the most brilliant people to have ever lived, some say. And God took his historic Jewish understanding of who God was, saved him through Jesus Christ, and then Paul used all of his understandings of the Old Testament scriptures and the Holy Spirit, and he began to write things down that has then since shaped, uh, yes, shaped our theology and understanding of who God is. But when it comes to the gospel, the atoning work of Jesus Christ, it didn't come from Paul. He says, this isn't even my idea. He goes, I brought it to you as it was given to me. You know who gave it to him? Jesus did. On the road to Damascus where Paul was met with Jesus, the resurrected Christ, Jesus told him this stuff. And all Paul has done is gone around and telling the same thing to others. He says, this is not even my idea. I'm just giving to you what I have received. And he says, this is what we've received, that Christ has died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. What does he mean by in, in accordance with the scriptures? It just means this, that all of the Old Testament, which would be their Bible in the day, if you, you know what I mean? They didn't have the New Testament, right? Just the Old Testament scriptures. He says, the Old Testament books of the Bible, it proclaimed that God was going to send a Messiah, a savior, one who would take away all the sins of the world. Yes? And all he's saying is this is who? Jesus. 
And the Bible has been telling us this from the get-go. That Jesus Christ came and he died in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And verse 5, that he appeared to Peter. And then to 12. And he says all of this is of first importance. Why is it of first importance? Have you ever considered like... Like, I don't know how many pages your Bible has. I'm at 12 or 1300 or something. I mean, think of all of the things that are contained therein. And Paul would say there's, there's a single thing that's more important than everything else you would read in here. And it's this, this issue of Jesus dying and being buried and raising and appearing again. This, that's of first importance. Why is that? Because this is the issue. This is the thing, the only thing that can save a person. This is the only thing that can reconcile a sinful, broken person to a holy and just God. It's this. There are many secondary, tertiary, what's next? I have no idea. Other things we could debate and discuss and consider. But this isn't one of them. This is a primary importance because it saves people. We can debate the issues of baptism. Can we sprinkle or dunk? It's up to you, right? We can debate secondary issues like uh, speaking in tongues or eschatological issues. That was fun to say. We could talk about all kinds of stuff, like end time stuff, if you want. We could read the book of Revelation, ooh, all that stuff. I'm just saying, man, of first importance, of primary importance, is that we understand what Paul means by the gospel. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and he died for you and for me, that he was buried in a grave, that he raised from the dead as the scripture said he would, and he appeared to others. I find it compelling that, that Paul talks about um, Jesus dying in accordance with the scriptures, that he was raised from the dead in accordance with the scriptures, but he also adds that he was buried, and he also adds that he appeared to other people. Now, neither one of these things have the tag according to the scripture. So I, make, I wonder why is he adding that to this conversation? If the scriptures from the Old Testament are teaching us that the Messiah must die and he would be raised from the dead, that's fine. But why the buried thing and why the appearance thing? Because Paul's a pastor at heart and he needs people to have faith in something. And he knows that oftentimes people need proof. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was put into a tomb, buried. And if you don't believe me, he says, you can go to Jerusalem and see it. You can open it and you'll see that it was empty. You'll see the same thing that the other disciples saw when they first went to that tomb on that Easter morning. And then it says that Jesus began to appear to people, first to Peter, then to the 12, and then the 500 plus people at once. Many of those are still alive. Why is he saying that? Because he's saying, go ask them. I know it's difficult to accept things that I'm saying, maybe. You don't know me, I get all of that. But you know Jim, he saw him, and Phoebe, Lydia, and everyone else. Go ask them. Why is this important? Because their faith has to be rooted in the truth. Their, their, their faith has to be rooted in what happened with Jesus that he was crucified, that he was buried, raised from the dead, and he revealed himself to other people. 
It also, just side note, it gives credibility to how God does view the body, that we are not going to be resurrected spirits. Yes, we actually get a body. What does it look like? I hope it doesn't look like this. I'm just saying. (laughs) I hope my eyeballs work in heaven. I'm just saying. It says, verse 7, that Jesus also went and appeared to who? It says he went to James. There are many Jameses in the Bible. This particular James is Jesus' brother. Did you know Jesus' own brother, his own family, did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah? In fact, there's, there's a, um, I think it's in Mark chapter 3. Jesus is going around doing healings and all kinds of stuff. And it says his, his family went to send Jesus away because they thought he was out of his mind. They thought he was insane. John's gospel tells us that the brothers of Jesus didn't believe in him either. I could find that easy to believe if my brother told me something. <laughs> You're a moron is what I would say. <laughs> but Jesus, he comes to James, his brother. This James, just so you know, becomes the leader, de facto leader in Jerusalem. He leads the church in Jerusalem. This James was a non-believer of all the things that Jesus had performed and done. All of the miracles, the raising of the dead, the, the causing the lame to leap like the lamb or the gazelle or whatever is happening there. All of that stuff is taking place. And James still didn't believe until when? When he saw his brother raised from the dead. When he saw Messiah The Christ Jesus raised from the dead. And he came to James and he revealed himself to him. And James went on and did these great things. Then he appears to the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, he came to me. One untimely born, he says, Jesus came to me. He says, I'm the least of the apostles. I'm unworthy, he says to be called an apostle. This points to a possible reality that most commentators believe, and I would ascribe to this thought, that the Corinthian church was having an issue with Paul, particularly his apostleship. They just didn't think he had the the criteria necessary to be an apostle. He wasn't very uh, good at talking. We've talked about that many times before. And some other things. They didn't like some of his decisions that he was making for the church. But hear me. He's an apostle. He affirms his apostleship right there. I am an apostle, right? But I'm the least of all apostles. Now, why is this happening? I wonder if it's not false humility. Everyone knows we should be humble, right? We just don't do it very well. Oh, I'm the only one. (laughs) What what kind of church is this again? (laughs) Um, No, most of us don't really choose the way of humility and humbleness. Most of us try to be braggarts and cocky and boastful sometimes. The Bible tells us quickly that God, in fact, doesn't like pro- uh, proud people, prideful people. You know what the Bible says that God does to prideful people? It says he opposes them. <laughs> I want you to picture like a, a dad with a, a little bitty kid just trying to get his way, and the dad's just holding him back by his hand. That's a picture of what God does whenever we act in a way that is not humble, that doesn't have the evidence of Christ's meekness and humility in our lives. Whenever we're trying to do something out of a place that's not from him, he resists us. It says he exalts the humble. Who wants to be exalted? (laughs) You and me, that's it. That's all we got. 
Yes, I want God to use me. So I wonder if Paul is not coming from a place of false humility or, and this is what I really think, if you want to know, I wonder if he's struggling with his past. He says, I'm the least of all the apostles. Unworthy, he says. And why is this? And he adds this this phrase right after that, because I persecuted the church of God. And by persecuted, I don't mean he slandered them on Facebook. Ha, look at all them Jesus Krispies, whatever, whatever. Like none of that stuff. It meant he went to arrest, to put to death those people who said they followed Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I wonder if his past isn't getting in the way of what God wants him to do. The least of all, I'm unworthy of all of this. But his next line, he says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I want you to pause and consider how how many of us would disqualify ourselves based on our own works, right? Don't, don't raise your hand or nothing. I think we all know we're all disqualified from the things that we do. Like if God is going to pick someone and use them to do some great things, if God is going to use Jesus to save someone, it's not going to be us, right? It's going to be someone else who's greater than us. Because on our good days, we're still terrible. You know that, right? It's hard. It's a hard pill to swallow. But hear me. The Bible tells us that even on our best days, when metaphor, when we're using, we're firing on all cylinders, when we're doing everything right, when like you don't kick puppies, you recycle. You know what I'm talking about? Like the good days. Maybe even no speeding, although that's up in the air. I haven't seen that in the Bible, so I don't know about the speeding thing. Right? Even on our best days, the Bible tells us that our works are filthy. To the Lord. So, so we're sunk then. So we're all disqualified. I mean, I can't, I don't even need to go very far back in my past to disqualify myself. Anyone? I mean, I can go back a couple days, maybe, maybe even this morning. I'm, you're driving in, having a fight with a wife, and then you come in, you do the church face. Hi. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Everything's perfect in my life. How about you? You know, and your kids are driving you insane. Not mine, they're in the room. I would never say that about them. I won't tell you where they're at, but they're sitting right over here. We, we put on this f- front. And so f- there are people in the room who literally have devoted themselves to Jesus and they're struggling in faith to believe that he's good. Hi. How are you guys? Yes, going well. I'm a little tired, but things are great. Thanks for asking. But they're not. You read passages like this where God calls someone like Paul who persecuted, murdered people who followed Jesus, and then God, by some infinite wisdom, chooses him and uses him for his good. I wonder if Paul's not wrestling with his past a little bit. I wonder if you and I don't walk around like that sometimes. Man, God could really use those people and those people because they're, they're together people. They got it going on, people. But not me. I'm just, 
<laughs> What's the, I'm just lucky to get invited to the dance. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I'll just sit over here in a corner. Don't know. Don't mind me. I can tell you that's not how God sees you. It's not how God saw Paul. And why is this? He said, again, it's by grace, the grace of God, I am what I am. What, and what is he exactly? He's a, an apostle called by him to do something. Yes, the least of these, but he's still called. This grace issue, we talk about grace. These are Christian words that you hear in church. Oftentimes we don't really operate with a working knowledge of what they mean. But what Paul's driving home right here is this, the attribute of grace or the character of grace. There are many character traits of God, attributes of God. We learn about them in the Bible. One of them is this, God is infinite, right? We say this, God has no beginning or end. He is the alpha and the omega, if you're visiting. It's, that's what that says. It says that he's immutable. There's an attribute of God. He is unchanging. What he was yesterday, he will be tomorrow. What he was a thousand years ago, he will be a thousand years from now. He never changes. God is self-sufficient. Did you know that? Which just means this. He needs nothing to get along. Wait for it. Even you. You hear that? He is, he is self-sufficient. He maintains himself in perfect order and he has no need of anything, including you and me. And yet, in his great love, he chooses us. Oh, he wants us. He doesn't need us. He wants us. Talk about the character traits of omniscience. He knows everything. <laughs> He's omnipresent. He's all places. He, omnipotent. He is all powerful. There is nothing he cannot do. Speaks about his mercy. When we deserve something, he is merciful to not give us what we deserve. Say amen. amen. And then his grace. Undeserved favor unmerited favor. Paul stood in opposition to the work that Christ had done and was going to establish on the earth. And God's grace says, I choose you anyways. You're mine, he says. I think the same would be true for many of us in the room. But he knows the past. I mentioned he's omniscient, right? He knows everything. So the things that you don't think your neighbor knows or your spouse knows or your best friend knows, God knows. And he chooses anyways. Do you hear that? By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. I pray that for you, and I pray that for me, that God wouldn't hear that the broken body of his son Jesus would not have been wasted upon you, that his shed blood would not have been wasted upon me. He, he's done that for us, and, he's, and, and with faith in him, we enter in 
to that covenantal relationship with him. As Joe mentioned earlier, and he remains with us, even when we don't want to remain with him. And all of this is driven by grace. We don't claw and hold on. He does this. And I pray that it's not wasted upon us. He says, I've worked harder, blah, blah, blah. There he goes boasting again, <laughs> whatever. But verse 11, he says, whether then it was I or they, speaking of other apostles, all I know is this. So we preach, he says, and so you believed. And he's just saying, just believe, just believe in the true gospel. Christ, the son of God came and died for you and for me which is so scandalous, don't you think? I mean, sometimes we just get to this idea, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of okay. I can see why God would maybe die for me. But there are people you truly do not like, and they might be sitting right next to you. <laughs> I don't know. But may I remind you that Christ died for them too. That you and I might have true enemies. There are people that have hurt us and wounded us and Christ came and died for them as well. That Christ came and died, the gospel would say, for all people who would believe that he was buried. He raised from the dead. Hallelujah. Yes? And that he showed himself to all people. I'm going to pray for us as I close. And I, I think there's two groups of people in the room and I'm going to speak to both. Um, the first group would be this. You might be here um, only because someone invited you. Like the whole Christian faith thing is like, eh, I don't know. You're, you're the guy, I say this a lot, but you're the guy standing on the edge of the pool, sticking your toe in the water, wondering if it's okay to go in or not. Like, I don't know, maybe Jesus, maybe not Jesus and all this type of stuff. And you're considering letting Jesus be the Lord of your life. So I would just say this. Do not allow your past to stop you from coming to where God is. Jesus Christ, what he's done for us is he's washed away all of our sins. So now when God, who's infinite and just and holy, looks at us through Jesus, he sees us pure and spotless. So the things that you're harboring over yourself, all those bad decisions, those bad things, just so you know, he don't see them. I've often thought of this as I keep going back to the Lord and repenting and saying, God, I'm so sorry I do this. I'm so sorry I did that again. I'm so sorry that finger flipped up for no reason. I have no idea what happened, right? As I keep doing that, I always picture God saying, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you're saying. I don't see that because God looks at us through Jesus. All right, so if you're, if you're here and you're not on team Jesus or whatever that language looks like, if you're not a Christian, I'm just saying I'm, everything else that you're building your life upon, there will come a day when it, your life will overtake you and that thing won't support you. But this will never fail. That Christ will never fail. He'll always be there for you. He is trustworthy. And the other people in the room or maybe people like um, Stacy here, myself, maybe many of you, 
Christians, but you've drifted. And you're struggling with that reality that God doesn't appear to be good. God doesn't appear to be faithful. God isn't kind or whatever. I'm just telling you, may I remind you what he's done already in Christ. I love you. Hear me. What else does he have to do to prove it to you? What, what do you want from him? The ultimate price has been paid for us. God, I pray. God, I thank you for our time together. I just pray that you would come and speak to us and help us either come to faith for the first time or or maybe come to faith again for the first time, God. Remind us of everything that is available to us through Jesus. God, it is not our works that brings the remission of sins or the atonement that's needed for us, but it is your son, Jesus, who's done all of that for us. God, I pray that that we make that the primary issue of our life, that we have the faith to believe in that. Christ Jesus died. He was buried and raised, and he is available. God, I thank you for everything that you do. God, come be a part of our worship now. Come help us to sing songs that are true, that it wouldn't be just lip service to you, but we would actually mean the things that we say, God. Cause within us uh, worship to be born. Cause within us a, a desire to worship you. And I just thank you, God, for everything that you do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We hope this message was an encouragement to you. Walking in faith can be difficult, but we are constantly working to remind people of the truth and love of Jesus, and we want you to be a part of that. So head over to our social media pages on Facebook and Instagram, or connect with us online at renaissancedecatur.org and help us make a difference in the heart of our city.